Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Thanks, Nathan, for that reading. Well, we, we live in a world full of divisions and rivalries. Yesterday, we witnessed a battle between two strong rivals, Geelong and Richmond. In the political arena, there is a constant division between the left and the right, between Labor and Liberal. In the computing world, there are rivalries between Mac lovers and uh, PC sufferers. In the sugar water realm, there are Coke versus Pepsi lovers. And in times gone by, there were Holden versus Ford divisions and rivalries. In fact, I can still remember discussions in primary school, in the playground, about which, uh, which of these two cars well, these makes of cars were superior, Holden or Ford. And then came along Toyota, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. But there are some more uh, serious divisions and rivalries which result in hostilities, which can still get you, which could get you arrested or even killed in different parts of the world today. In Northern Ireland, uh, there are constant divisions and rivalries between uh, Republicans and Unionists. In the Middle East, <clears throat> it's the Palestinians versus the Jews. In the United States, we've seen an ugly period of politics and uh, the historic divisions that uh, ha have been there have widened, including those between the Republicans and the Democrats, between blacks and whites, between uh, Antifa and the Proud Boys, and on and on it goes. Such divisions and rivalries result in physical walls, uh, but they also 
result in walls of hatred and walls of hostility that separate people from each other. When Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, life in the Roman Empire was also dominated by us-against-them mentalities, which resulted in divisions, rivalries, hostilities, and even hatred between uh, ethnic groups. One of the main divisions of that time was, uh, was the division between the Jews and the Gentiles, whose religious values and cultural uh, practices were like chalk and cheese. Prior to Christianity, when Gentiles wanted to become God-fearers and, and attend the temple in Jerusalem, they had to take on Jewish culture uh, in order for them to do that. Even though they did that, they were not allowed into the inner, sanctions of, in the inner sections of the temple. These were off-limits to them. They could only get as far as the Gentile courts, and there actually even signs were posted up in both Latin and Greek, warning Gentiles to go to not go any further into the temple, otherwise they would face death. But here in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul tackles the issue of divisions, uh, rivalries and hostilities between ethnic groups head on. He says that in the church there is no place for divisions according to culture or, or ethnicity because in the church... All are one. This made the church, the early church, the most radical gathered community of its time. Paul goes on to talk a lot about unity in his letter and how it, how it is possible for people who have been divided historically by ethnicity to experience it in their own lives. But unity, or the unity that Paul says we are to experience in the church, doesn't just apply to ethnic divisions, uh, such as we, f- we find between those of Jews and Greeks. Paul says that this unity applies to every division that people experience uh, in life. He goes on to say in another letter that in the church there's no, uh, no division between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave or free. Instead, God in Christ is creating a new Uh, a new united community in which his spirit dwells. This is radical and and heady stuff that Paul's writing about and uh, and talking about here to the Ephesians. You see, what Paul is telling us is that the church is meant to be a place where, where ethnocentrism, nationalism, racism, sexism, classism, ageism, any other form of ism that divides people into us and them uh, is, is abolished. In order to experience such radical inclusion, you don't, go, uh, you don't need to go and join a protest and march down endless streets waving banners hoping that this political change will come to end these isms. Instead, you need to do something about it. You need to get on board with Jesus' new community, the church, which itself has the unique ability by its very nature of of achieving such an outcome. The situation in Ephesus was that Jews and Gentiles had both become uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, And and this took place after one of Paul's missionary journeys to Ephesus. 
but instead of them becoming two uh, separate worshipping communities of, uh, of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, they took the radical step and, and began worshipping Jesus together as one united community. In this passage, Paul tells the Ephesian Christians to remember three important uh, things so that they can remain a radical, united community for God's purposes. And I think we can learn from these reminders today ourselves. The first uh, thing that Paul tells the Ephesians is that they should remember who they used to be. Paul's reminder of the Ephesians begins with him pointing out uh, who the Ephesians used to be. Basically, he repeats their their testimony back to them of what they uh, what they used to be like. <laughs> how, how painful would that be? But Paul reminds the Gentiles first that they were previously living far away from God, and the way they lived showed this. They didn't know God. They didn't know God's laws. They didn't understand uh, what God had done for them in Christ, and consequently, they lived as strangers to God and without hope in the world. The Jews, on the other hand, they'd received God's law and had made, uh, made an agreement. God had made an agreement with them to be his people. But they, the, Israel, the Jews had, or the Israelites had, had failed to live up to this agreement, to their side of the agreement. And instead of, uh, of them being a light to the other uh, ethnic communities around them, drawing them to God... They actually repelled them by their arrogance and by uh, their sense of spiritual superiority. You see, the Jews had, had grown to rely on external religious acts to feel good about themselves. Instead of understanding that their own relationship with God was actually a, a gracious gift to them, they'd come to believe that they'd earned it themselves by keeping the law and practicing circumcision. And consequently, they looked down on everyone else who wasn't like them. But we shouldn't get the idea that this uh, was just a problem uh, which Jews and Gentiles faced. Division and hostility due to ethnicity and culture are actually a universal problem, a universal human problem, uh, and they result, they're a result of our sinful human condition. I'm not suggesting here that culture is a bad thing. Culture uh, and human diversity are, are beautiful expressions of who God has made us. But as sinful people, we have a tendency to take good things like our culture and our ethnicity or some other feature about ourselves, usually uh, that we've had no part in making, and using them to boost our ego and to boost our feelings of superiority. We use what is good to feel superior to others and we seek to get our identity and our self-worth from them, which actually results then in divisions and walls of hostility between us and other people. What Paul is saying here is, though is that uh, these divisions and hostilities are not just uh, there due to a lack of education or ignorance. They stem primarily from our human brokenness and from sin. <clears throat> Time won't make them better. Education won't, uh, won't resolve them. 
No matter how many marches or votes you give to this political party or that political party, these will not be enough to erase racism and ethnocentrism from your life and bring us to the unity that we so need and desire. How then can we deal with these divisions and rivalries that lead to these feelings of cultural superiority and racism? Paul says to the Ephesians that these divisions mark their old way of life before they knew Christ. Now they are in Christ, their lives were actually meant to be different. There's no place for cultural superiority or any other superiority that raises us above other people when we are followers of Jesus because these, result, these come from or result from sinful pride and a lack of humility. The reason that Paul reminds the Ephesian Christians of who they used to be is so that they would not slip back into those patterns of living which were so, so destructive. The remedy... Uh, for any form of superiority, Paul tells the Philippians, is humility. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, including other ethnic communities. The Apostle Peter, who struggled so much early on in his Christian walk to view Gentile uh, Christians as equals, he goes on actually to plead with, with other believers saying, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, the first step towards unity, equity, sharing and loving other people who are different to you is to remember what you were once like without Christ and to embrace humility. The Christian writer Philip Yancey says that humility uh, is an ongoing choice to credit God, not yourself, for what you have. For what really do any of us have except by the grace of God? Everything we have is by God's kindness. And so once you grasp this perspective, it will actually transform all of your human relationships. Humility, you see, unites where pride divides. It was pride of the devil which broke the unity in heaven and pride continues to break unity between people today. Dwayne Elmer in his book Cross-Cultural Servanthood says that pride, most often expressed as superiority, means that someone is either talking up to or down to another person, both of which inhibit open, honest conversation and mutual empowerment. What results then our competition, division, and hostility. When uh, Wendy and I uh, and the boys were living in Malawi, we used to meet regularly with the Yao uh, followers of Jesus who to pray and to worship God together with them on a Friday, which was their typical day when people in that region, that area used to meet and pray uh, when our followers of Jesus um, began to w w would worship, they used forms of worship that were common to Islam, which was the religion uh, that was common in that area. And so they would come along to the place of prayer where we'd meet and they would remove their shoes and they would wash their feet and their hands and their faces. 
and then they would enter into the building to pray. And uh, there weren't any seats in the building, so we would uh, sit on mats on the floor with women and men separated from each other on, on, on different sides of the building. And then after singing and after hearing a message from the Bible, uh, we would then kneel and bow and then prostrate ourselves on the ground uh, on these mats in, in, uh, in, in prayer and in unison. And so these, uh, these forms of worship were very meaningful for the Yao and helped them uh, to connect really with God. But one day a mission executive came along from another organization from another country and uh, they came, I won't mention where they're from or who they were with, but they came to talk to us about our ministry with the Yao and, and what was going on uh, in that area. And they wanted to go and visit and, uh, and pa- participate in one of these worship uh, sessions with us. But when they arrived, when this mission executive arrived at the, at the prayer hall, he wouldn't, res- wouldn't take his shoes off. He just walked walked in with his shoes on, and he wouldn't wash his wouldn't even wash his hands before he went in, and he resented having to sit on the floor to worship. And afterwards, he ridiculed to us the way that the Yao prayed and worshipped, as it was different to what he had expected and what what he was used to. You see, he only saw his own way of worship. He saw his own way of worship as superior to that of the Yao's and therefore was not able to see the beautiful thing that God was doing in the Yao's life. Nor could he comprehend the fact that he was actually united with those Yao believers in Christ. He only saw difference and division, and he lacked humility to appreciate others. Today, friends, we need to remind ourselves that our ethnicity, our culture, and our first languages are actually gifts to us. We haven't earned them. They give us particular uh, ways of seeing the world and living in it. But in order to enter into the unity that Christ has won for us, we need to remember where we've come from, and we need to embrace the same attitude as Christ Jesus, who valued others above himself. The second uh, thing that Paul reminds the Ephesians is that only... Christ brings true peace to mend our broken relationships. Paul reminded the Ephesians that the divisions and hostility that existed between people was caused by uh, living according to their sinful nature, which included acting out on their feelings of spiritual and cultural superiority. He then goes on to remind the Ephesians that the problem could only ever be solved by God. It was solved by God coming close to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and entering into our situation, taking the punishment of uh, all our sin and shame, including our sense of cultural and religious superiority upon himself. We spent the last few weeks in the letter letter to the Ephesians talking about everything that God has done in Christ to mend people's uh, relationship with God their vertical relationship with God. But here in the letter now, Paul tells us that it's not just people's vertical relationship with God that uh, God has healed in Christ Jesus, 
by Christ's death and resurrection. He says also that our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people, are also healed as well by what Christ has done. How is this achieved? Well, Paul tells us here in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, he says that Jesus himself is our peace and that he has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that's between us. This is what Christ's done on the cross. This means that Christ's way of dealing with our divisions is actually by uniting people together in himself, making one, one person one people. What Jesus achieved means that the Ephesians no longer identify themselves as, as uh, Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians. They were just Christians united in Christ or united by Christ or through Christ. Don't hear me say that we shouldn't celebrate people's ethnicity or their cultural heritage or their first languages. These are all important, but they're not primary identification markers for those who are in Christ. The end goal of Christ in establishing his church is not to have separate Christian cultural enclaves, but to have a united community in himself. Ephesians, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 and 6, Paul refers to what Christ has done in, in uniting different ethnic communities uh, as the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ. He calls it the mystery because it's actually inconceivable that Jews and Gentiles could ever be united as one people. These two groups were historically, historical enemies, but they had become fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. You see, unity humanly speaking, is, is, it's out of our grasp. It's the desire of the human heart to live in peace with all humanity. This is why we have, uh, have institutions like the United Nations and uh, the, the Nobel Peace Prize because we're trying everything we possibly can to bring about peace and unity in our world. But ultimately, if you want true peace and true unity, true justice and equity for all people, no matter their ethnicity, uh, their culture, their class, their gender, then we need to allow God to deal with the root cause, the root cause that makes these divisions between us into walls of hostility, which he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. You see, Jesus takes our cultural and spiritual pride and the hostility that results from them he takes them upon himself and he deals with them and in their place he makes us into a new people, a new community a new humanity on the cross of Christ divisions and barriers aren't just whitewashed, they're not just covered over to make them look better barriers between God and people and people and other people are actually removed Most people aren't racists, but many of us often feel culturally superior. Tacit ethnocentrism is very common. Ethnocentrism is the assumption that one's way of life is normal and everyone else's is abnormal. 
And as Christians, we need to acknowledge and we need to repent from racism and we need to repent from our ethnocentrism. It's humbling to admit holding these views, but it's part of the process of healing and allowing God's work to take root in our lives. Randolph Richards and uh, Brandon O'Brien in their book, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes, suggest some helpful ideas for Christians who struggle with cultural superiority. First, they suggest that we undertake some deep, deep reflection on how we view other people and other cultural communities who are different to us. This is a serious endeavour in which we need to ask the Lord to, to show us uh, where we are harbouring prejudices. We need to ask ourselves whether there are ethnic communities that we, are, that we har- harbour bad feelings about. We need to consider carefully why we have them and where they come from. We need to also take uh, active steps to live out the unity that Christ has won for us. One concrete way of doing this is to go out of your way to meet people from other cultural communities in the church, but also outside the church who are different to you, which is pretty, to, pretty easy to do here in Melbourne. In uh, 2008, uh, Wendy, uh, the boys and I went to stay in Jordan for a few months uh, so that I could uh, begin learning a little bit of Arabic and I uh, also had another reason for going. I actually wanted to meet... Arabs and spend some solid time with them. You see, for a lot of my adult life up until that point, I hadn't had a very positive attitude towards Arabs. I don't know why, because I'd never actually met an Arab really prior to that point. I don't know where my feelings came from, perhaps from the media, who knows. But it was in meeting and spending time with Arabs that my negative feelings began to dispel. I came to see them as people with needs and problems just like my own. And they, I found them to be warm and friendly people, welcoming me and my family into their country. Friends, as a church, we desire to live and worship together as one people in Christ from, from many different cultural backgrounds. And to do this, in, in real unity, as Christ intended, we need to remind ourselves what Christ has done to break down the walls of hostility that are between us. We need the same attitude as Christ, and we need to constantly seek Jesus' help when we're overtaken by feelings of cultural superiority and trust that he will help us do that. John tells us in 1 John 1, 1.9 that if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> the third thing that Paul reminds the Ephesians is that we are united in, together in Christ for a purpose. God has a purpose that he's achieving through his people. He spoke of this purpose way back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when he told Abram that uh, he would bless him and make him a blessing to every ethnic community on earth. 
You see, God never had a plan just to be in relationship with one ethnic community. He has always been inclusive. In his ministry on earth, Jesus talked consistently about the inclusion of people from every tribe and every tongue in the kingdom of God. And it was this message that actually got Jesus into trouble with other Jews. Even in his hometown of Nazareth, uh, people weren't actually annoyed that he uh, referred to himself as the Messiah. Rather, rather they were ticked off that he said that, that the kingdom of God and the blessings of God would actually be, be for all people and not just the Jews. One of the first big issues that the New Testament church faced was to do with accepting people, all people on equal terms. The Apostle Peter came to learn the hard way that God shows no partiality and that his own ethnocentrism was actually a stumbling block for the spread of the gospel. Jesus knew that his followers would struggle after his death to experience unity. This is why he prayed for them and for us. In, uh, in John 17, he prayed that we would be one as he and his Father are one, so that we would be brought to complete unity. Jesus then said that this unity would be a sign to the world that, we, uh, that, he, had, that he had been sent by God and that God loved all people. And after Jesus rose from the grave and before he ascended to his father, he actually commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of all ethnic communities, all ethnic groups throughout the world. It's important for us today to know how God seeks to glorify himself, bless the nations and make disciples of, makes disciples of them uh, in the name of Jesus. Paul makes it clear to us here in Ephesians that actually this task, this is actually done through the body of Christ, the church. There isn't another plan. It's through the church that God will be working. Paul uses several pictures to describe then what the church is meant to be like. And uh, first he says that we, uh, the, the, the people who are in Christ are actually fellow citizens, uh, fellow citizens, this means that there aren't any second-class Christians in the church. All people receive the same benefits, the same spirit, and have the same rights, privileges, and responsibilities. Paul also says when we're in Christ, we're joined into a family. We become members of an extended household with others. This means that we're not meant to be separate, disconnected, and alienated from each other, but instead we're to work together and serve and care for each other in love. And this means that every person in the body of Christ is a family member. No matter your, your, social, your economic social background, your, your culture. Finally, Paul says that together with Christ we are being made into God's temple, the place where God's spirit uh, where God dwells by spirit on earth. It is in his united body that God is most fully present. These three word pictures, citizen, family member, and temple, speak of our unity, but they also speak of the purpose that God intends for us. 
You see, it's, it is primarily in unity as God's people together that we witness to the world who God is and what God is like. Because when they look at us united together, living out this mystery of Christ, these uh, different ethnic cultural groups being treated equally, loving and serving each other, they will come to see and experience the glory of God themselves. This united body of Christ is a sign to the world of the authenticity and genuineness of what God has done. Because that unity is what people, all people long for, but find unobtainable in their own strength and wisdom. This is God's purpose for Jesus' community and his desired outcome for all humanity. Friends, Paul gives us a powerful vision of what the church is meant to be today. The church isn't a club for people who are all alike. Rather, it's a new community formed with people from different, formed from people from different genders, social, religious, and cultural backgrounds, who were once living alienated with with God and from each other, but who are now united in Christ. And it is in this community that God's Spirit dwells. And it is through this community that we can fulfill our purpose of glorifying God to the nations, to the other ethnic communities who, who, live, who we live amongst. I want to encourage you to make Christ your primary identity today. All other identities, all other identities of ways of viewing yourself as secondary to whom Christ is making you. Because only Christ can make you all that you are meant to be. It is through this new identity as a member of this radical new community that you will experience God and his blessings in fullness in this life and also in the life to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you for what you've done in Jesus. It truly is radical, amazing, that, that, uh, that you could bring us together with people who are so different to us and we could find unity in Christ together. Not just different cultures or ethnicities, but but people who are different uh, in gender, in social background, in economic background, in political views. We can be actually one in Christ and we can actually uh, serve and love each other because of what you've done. Lord, help us to embrace what you've done. Help us, help this to actually, um, to, to, to really grip us and to drive us into the world to express the love of Christ that we found. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.